As a way to honor all of the mothers on here, from now through Mother's Day weekend, you can grab the My Essential Birth course and get the new bonus birth affirmations track plus matching birth affirmation cards and get entered to win one of three goodies from Docatot. Or you can be one of the first five to bundle and save grabbing the My Essential Birth and Postpartum course. And I will personally send you a handmade 100% muslin cotton belly bind with your bonus tutorial video. Plus you get all the bonuses from before the birth affirmation track, matching birth affirmation cards, and you get entered to win one of three goodies from Docatot totaling $247 worth of goodies. Head to myessentialbirth.com forward slash get started and join me in the birth course today. Happy Mother's Day. Welcome to the My Essential Birth Podcast. I'm Courtney. And I'm Stephanie. And we're professional doulas, childbirth educators, and the creators of My Essential Birth, the holistic, empowering online childbirth education course helping mothers everywhere confidently achieve their best birth. So join us each week as we share tips and advice for all things pregnancy, birth, and beyond. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so that you can be the first to get new content. And head over to www.myessentialbirth.com for more information about our birth course and to join a community of mamas just like you. This week's podcast reviewer of the week is Meagle Beagle. She I love says, that name. I know. <laughs> Uh, she says, informative and fun. I absolutely love listening to this podcast. It makes me laugh, think, and informs me. You're welcome. It's not just one-sided, but gives you the pros and cons or many other options so you can then decide for yourself what is best for you. I have recommended this to all my Prego friends and will continue. I haven't found a better birth podcast that has prepared me for birth. Thank you, Meagle Beagle. I'm very curious as to what her actual name is. I'm going to go with Megan. Megan, maybe? I don't know. It's cute either way. <laughs> yeah. But thank you so much. I love it. Laugh, inform, makes her think. I feel like that's what we're here to do. That's it. We got a really great question on Instagram the other day. She asked, what are the factors that govern the timeline of labor and delivery? Are there things you can do that land you with the two-hour version versus the two-day version? Yeah, because you're reading all the time on Facebook or Instagram or, you know, you're hearing from friends or relatives or whatever, and they're giving you these variations of what labor looked like for them. And I think sometimes we just sit there kind of wide-eyed like, holy crap, how do I make how do I make sure that that's not my story? Or how do I make it more like this story? So I think it's an excellent question. I feel like especially when you're hearing stories about the really long births, right? Like your mother saying to you as a punishment or threat, <laughs> I was in labor with you for 56 hours. And you're like, good heavens, please don't let that happen to I me. I walked through the snow for two miles to get to your birth center. <laughs> Stephanie, it would be more like, I had contractions uphill both ways yeah. walking to my hospital. <laughs> I birthed you upside down. <laughs> anyway, um, we get it. You don't want to be in labor for forever. Um, but and we'll talk about this here in a minute. The two-hour version isn't necessarily something you want either. So we answered this briefly on Instagram stories, but really felt like it needed a deeper dive. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. Before we do that, there's a couple things we want to address ahead of time. We're not going to say that any of the things that we go over here cause labor to be slow or fast. Because for example, I could say that an induction is likely to be a longer birth, but there's going to be women who were induced and had a quick birth. Or I could say that certain herbal remedies help shorten labor, but I'm sure one of you will write in and say, I took all those and had a 36-hour labor. That that was me, by the way. Um, <laughs> 
So what we are going to say is that these things can contribute to a longer or shorter birth. Definitely keep them in mind, but know that it's not set in stone. And so obviously anything that we talk about, it's always going to be that like those couple of people that are like, "Mm, no, that's that's not how it works. That doesn't work for me. Right. Because birth is so individual. So this is information. Do with it what you will. And I'm sure you guys, if we were to pull our listeners on which birth you would rather have, the two-day version or the two-hour version, a fair amount of you would pick the two-hour version, right? Nod your head if that's you. But just so you know, there are pros and cons to longer and shorter births. We know that you guys appreciate that Stephanie and I don't hide anything from you and try not to make it one-sided. The average length of labor for a first-time mom is about 12 to 15 hours. Long labors, just so you know, they are exhausting to mom and partner and anybody else that's there supporting you. But I feel like one of the advantages is that you have the time necessary to get into a really good rhythm mentally and physically with your contractions. Short labors are quick. (laughs) Yay! (laughs) But you're taking something that normally takes longer and cramming it into a shorter amount of time. That can sometimes mean that things become intense in a really short amount of time and it can catch you off guard. I know that for myself as a doula um, supporting a woman, I didn't even get there in time. And her Mm -hmm. intention was to make it to a hospital and she had her baby on the bathroom floor. And for her, by the time that I showed up at the hospital, not too long after, she was in a state of shock and had to go through some counseling and it was PTSD. I mean, it was a very real situation. She had planned for this birth. You know, she had prepared in every way. She had a doula. She was prepared in the support that she was supposed to have. But when it didn't go that way and it it went that way quickly, and this was like her fourth or fifth kid too, Mm -hmm. which was unexpected, it really threw her off guard. So there, I mean, benefits and and maybe not so exciting things to both, right? No, seriously. I had a friend, really good friend of mine, third baby, and um, they had gone to the hospital when she thought she was in labor and they turned her away. And so she was kind of laboring at home and not feeling super great. And she kept telling her husband, like, I think we should go. I think we should go. But she she was doing okay. Long story short, she had her baby in the car. And I remember when she was pregnant with baby number four, she was still kind of traumatized by that experience. <laughs> she's and she, anxious about it already. she's like, I, I want to go unmedicated, but like a planned unmedicated, not having yeah. my baby in the car unmedicated. Yeah. Oh, well, and that's a big difference too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because she was planning on utilizing an epidural. Unmedicated was not on her, you know, list of things she wanted for that birth. And so just keep that in mind that you may say like, nah, I want the short labor. That's good. But you kind of need to be mentally prepared for both scenarios. Right. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the encouragement on the other side too. Like I do know women that have fast laborers, have had and continue to have fast laborers and they're prepared for it and they they love it. They're like, we call it fast and furious, but baby's out and I'm walking around a couple hours later, like I'm home after six or eight hours. It's a completely different situation. So it can be good either way. I don't want to get you guys any scared or anything like that, but it is intense. All right. So Steph, I'm just curious, babies one, two, and three, do you like, was there about an average of what your different births were? I don't feel like people would feel encouraged by listening to (laughs) No, but I mean, it's helpful just so you can show, you know. Sure. I think some of what we're going to talk about played a part in how mine 
existed. But like with my first, my water broke like just a trickle in the middle of the night. I was kind of having contractions. I could only tell when I was holding onto my stomach. Of course, they told me to come in. Of course, I wasn't prepared enough to know to not come in yet. And so I did. And so we got, you know, Pitocin going and then an epidural. And that was like a 36, 37 hour labor. And then with my second, I had days of prodromal labor. And so I, that's, I'm like, I don't know how to calculate this, you yeah. know? Like, yeah. What I, are we measuring from? Is it from first contraction? Is it from by the time you get to your birthplace? It can be hard to know. Right. And so if you're talking prodromal labor with my second, like I wasn't getting rest. I, I had a couple hours during the day where I'd only have one or two contractions, but during the night, it was like every 10 or 15 minutes, two days later, I go into the hospital and then it was still goodness. We got there in the early afternoon and baby was born at like 4 a.m. And then my third, I had several, like an entire week of prodromal labor, maybe like five days. Five, yeah, it was like five to seven days of prodromal labor. I kept calling my husband home from work. Just, But for me, I can look back and say like, I, it was it was fine and it was necessary. And I think when my baby was born was the perfect time. But I did. So I had that prodromal labor. And then what was interesting about my third, and I think we'll probably get to talking about this a little bit, but I, my contractions were like six, seven minutes apart. They weren't necessarily like every six minutes. Interesting. Every, and, and what I think I had going on was some mental stuff. And so my body reacted to that. But what I loved about it was like you had said that longer labor. Yeah. I had days when it actually kicked in, it still took like, it was almost 24 hours. And I, I think I needed that space to breathe. I talked about how I was able to fall asleep for 45 minutes right before transition. Just things went slowly for me, but I think it was necessary. And so my contractions never got like, oh, they're two minutes apart lasting a minute. It was never like that. They were never that close together. And so even for myself, I was like, wait, is this really labor? Am I, is it time to call the birth team? But when my midwife came and they were six and seven minutes apart, I was six centimeters dilated. That's crazy. I know. So I was doing the long, hard work. They were lasting a minute and a half to two minutes. I was breathing and moving through them. You know, that's the signs that were telling her, hmm, let's just, let's give it a little look, you know? Yeah. But, but it was, <laughs> it was gentle and exhausting all at the same time. But I think, I don't know. I just think if it were me and I was pregnant, I would want to be mentally preparing for it one way or the other, right? I could have some days of prodromal labor and this could be kind of a long process or it could be a super quick one. Of me growing up, my mom, we, she had six kids and my sister, baby number four for my mom, my mom had taken these herbs <laughs> with her pregnancy. And, you know, they always joke her and my parents that the doctor said the baby came flying out like a football. It was oh just a really quick, <laughs> easy labor for her. Speaking and so, of breathing baby down from right? our last episode. <laughs> <laughs> Not to, that's an interesting visual. Hopefully you didn't stick Hike. on that too long. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> So, but in my head growing up, I kind of held that up as the gold standard and what I wanted and what I wanted to expect. And so my first labor was, um, I think I had contractions starting at around 5 a.m. and he was born about seven hours later. And that sounds really great, but that was kind of a rough experience on me. I had back labor. It had nothing to do with how fast oh, the labor was. Yeah. I, so when I had baby number two, I just kept telling my husband, I, I don't know, even on the way to the hospital, I don't know if I can do this. I just still remember what it was like last time, but that ended up being about a six hour labor without back labor. And I was like, Oh. I can totally do this. This is great. So I think you just need to be mentally prepared for either scenario. So with all those things, all those thoughts in mind, those tangents, I guess, 
Here are things that could contribute to a birth being longer than average. You know, let me let me say right here too that I as we're talking about this, I'm realizing I had an epidural with my first. And so that absolutely like between the Pitocin, things mm-hmm. not working out, then getting the epidural, then trying to wait, that made it way longer. And then the second one was prodromal. And then I was trying to wait. And then I had the epidural and things got moving. And then the third, my midwife had warned me that she's like, your labor can be longer simply because you've had Pitocin with two other babies and your body's going to be Ooh. expecting it. And so I think that was actually a contributing factor as well, that it just mentally, there were some things for sure, but also there were some physical things that my body had not done this before. So um, it wasn't like your normal, my first baby was born at home. And then, so that was 12 hours. And so my next baby was born at home and it was eight. And you know, where you see some of those patterns that kick in for moms, it wasn't like that. Okay. One last tangent. I swear. Sorry guys. <laughs> Lies. <laughs> but remember how we talked about some episodes back about the power of your mind, right? And yeah. sort of the idea of what you think about what is what you bring about and just how powerful that can be. I kind of wonder if our mental expectation of how long we think we're going to be in labor, how that influences things. So my mom had this experience, held it up as the Holy Grail. I took those same herbs during my pregnancies. And so I expected to have a short, quick labor. And that's what I got same for all four. Herbs. Yep. Right. And, um, but Stephanie was like, I took those same herbs. They did <laughs> nothing for me. But I kind of wonder if for, um, your babies two and three, I don't know. I wonder if were you expecting it to be that long? And if so, did your mind expecting it to you know, take a it's while? It's interesting play into that, that you're saying that because I, when my midwife came for that third baby and things started moving, I mean, she checks me, I'm six centimeters and we're a couple hours in. She's like, do you think you're going to have your baby by like by seven o'clock tonight? She just kind of like threw out this number. And I just remember, th- I was like, no. For sure. Like I like, no, like it wasn't even a, I couldn't, no, there's no yeah. way I could see that. So I did have an expectation of this is going to take what it's going to take. And I think, yeah. I mean, it held true. It was four something in the morning for my third one as well. Yeah. So I would, I would check yourself ladies with your thoughts about what you're expecting birth to be like. I think it would almost be better to not have an expectation than to expect that it's going to take or a to super try to long time to happen. Anyway. Okay. For real now, let's okay, get let's into the this. things yes. that contribute to birth being longer. <laughs> all right. So one of the things that we see all the time as doulas, definitely as birth professionals is women who are induced. If you are induced, you are more likely to have a longer labor and more intervention. Uh, Absolutely, there are those women that I get induced every time and I have a four or six hour labor and it's a great experience and that's wonderful. Uh, But we do see a lot of times bodies that aren't ready being medically induced for reasons that may or may not be a medical necessity. And those labors tend to take longer either way. Exactly. I feel like an important question to ask along with this one is, is it medically necessary? But what's your bishop score? I know you've heard Steph and I talk about that before. It's a rating on a scale of, you know, one to 10 of how well your body will respond to being induced. And I, you know, I'm just going to say it. If you have a low bishop score and you're being induced, chances are you're going to have a long labor. And that's okay. That's not true for everybody, but that's often what we see. Right. And it's just information. So particularly if it's medically necessary, you need to be induced, then it's just information. Okay. This is my bishop score. It's low. So I know it's going to take more work. So I know I have an increased chance of these things. So what can I do to, you know, in my best way, make sure that I have the birth that I want as close to as I can as possible. Next is getting an epidural. We do see this prolong the length of labor. Steph's talked about this before where the epidural does a great job of helping you relax, but it also relaxes 
releases those uterine muscles that we're working to contract. And so um, that's why we often see them introduce things like Pitocin to help get that contraction pattern um, solid and strong again. But getting an epidural, for example, is going to make it a little bit harder for you to know where and how and when to push. And so we see a longer second stage or pushing stage with moms who have had an epidural in place. So again, this isn't bad. It's not a negative. It's just something to keep in the back of your mind. Right. And along with an epidural and kind of numbing things out is the lack of being able to be upright and moving, which will naturally, if you are able to be walking around and listening to your body in an upright position, moving around on a birth ball, all of that's going to um, decrease the time that you are in labor because it's allowing your body to be open and, and moving so that your baby can navigate through the pelvis. So it'll stall things out kind of all over and that's totally normal. As a way to honor all of the mothers on here, from now through Mother's Day weekend, you can grab the My Essential Birth course and get the new bonus birth affirmations track plus matching birth affirmation cards and get entered to win one of three goodies from Docatot. Or you can be one of the first five to bundle and save grabbing the My Essential Birth and Postpartum course. And I will personally send you a handmade 100% muslin cotton belly bind with your bonus tutorial video. Plus you get all the bonuses from before the birth affirmation track, matching birth affirmation cards, and you get entered to win one of three goodies from Docatot, totaling $247 worth of goodies. Head to myessentialbirth.com forward slash get started and join me in the birth course today. Happy Mother's Day. Same thing goes right for being on your back for pushing. We're going to see a longer pushing stage if you're on your back for sure. So Stephanie alluded to this earlier. If you have unresolved emotions that you're experiencing, maybe some fears that you're hanging on to, basically, if there's mental work that really sort of needs to be processed, we can definitely see that play out into a longer labor. Right. And I would say that's not even necessarily a bad thing. When I when I think back to that third birth and I felt like I had done a lot of mental work, I had done a lot of positive affirmations, and but I, there were some things that maybe just weren't complete and it was okay. Like it still allowed me the time to be able to work through that during the birth process. So it doesn't have to be a negative thing. I don't want to freak you guys out. Like if you don't get this mental work done, your labor is going to suck. You know, <laughs> that's not <laughs> what we're saying. Um, but you there's a lot of, of things that you have power over before you even get into that birth space and it does affect the length of your labor. Well, and sometimes too, I think you may not even recognize what maybe some of those fears are until you're actually in the moment. Oh, I, yeah. I've talked about this <laughs> so before true. with my third, but I didn't realize that I was going to be having a fear of putting on a good performance for my little sister and showing her how mm. awesome unmedicated birth was. I didn't know that was going to be something that was going to kind of stall my birth a little bit until I was in that moment. And so it's okay if, you know, if you're aware of it now, certainly work to address it now. We, you hear us talk about that find it and flip it exercise that we offer. I've had so many women talk about how much that in particular helped them. And so if you know about it now, fix it but it's okay if you don't know what it is yet. Another thing is baby being head down, but not turned in an ideal way in the pelvis. And so we see a lot of, like you had mentioned, like stalls or um, maybe inconsistent contraction patterns, things that tell us that baby is in a less than ideal position. And it's true. They can be in an ideal position and move into a not great position during labor and vice versa. But there are things that you can do in preparation, including, and I'll link to it, the, the free download for the three free exercises. Um, and, and if that's something that you can work
work on prior to birth and you have a greater chance of having a more comfortable and shorter labor. Along the same lines of baby being in an ideal position at the start of birth would be if your baby's having trouble navigating the pelvis, right? We've we've kind of mentioned this before, but you've got the inlet of the pelvis to where they're entering it at. You've got mid-pelvis and you've got little, it's not like a little perfect circle or anything. You've got <laughs> these ischial spines that are coming in there. Anyway, they can have trouble sort of navigating that and even the outlet of the pelvis as well. And so that can cause things to take a little bit longer. Right. And that's where we get into like side note, chiropractic care and some other things to like balance your body and anyways, but Mm -hmm. there's things that you can do to make, to make it better. However, it is something that can cause a longer labor. I think something else that we see is dehydration. And this is kind of that tricky thing. Like we see it, especially in the summer, right? I mean, anytime, but it's common with moms in the summer. Like if you're dehydrated, it can start contractions, but it's not even really labor contractions. And with a mom, and this is why like they, you know, set you up with an IV and stuff. But if, or if you're at a birth center um, or at your house that we say, like, make sure that you're staying hydrated because dehydration can create a longer labor. It can can create contractions that uh, don't feel so great and aren't as effective and therefore create a longer labor. Well, and doesn't it make sense too that if you're dehydrated, is your body going to be functioning optimally? Are your muscles going to be working in a way, you know, an efficient and effective way? Probably not. I mean, if you were, you know, running a 10K or whatever, and you weren't well hydrated going into that, you're probably going to be experiencing (laughs) more muscle cramps. And yeah, exactly. It's (laughs) going to be a bit more of a miserable experience. So that makes sense to my mind. Right. Well, and just knowing that the amniotic fluid replenishes itself throughout birth, well, it needs somewhere to get, you know, some some liquid from. So that's that's important too. Now, one of the things on here, and, and I say this with a caveat, is first-time moms typically experience a longer labor than moms who, this, is, this ain't their first rodeo, right? <laughs> um, again, I have to wonder, are there other contributing factors though, right? Because I've seen first-time moms who are so well-prepared and and they don't have a particularly long labor. Um, but anyway, just in general, first-time moms, I like to say that that first baby's kind of paving the way for their siblings. <laughs> <laughs> I so. think we need an episode talking about how to not underestimate the power of birth. Yeah. Because I think that's a lot of what comes up for first-time moms is we, uh, I can relate to this. You know, I read some books and some birth stories and I, if everyone else has done this from the beginning of time, so can I. And then it happens and you're like, oh, dang, I <laughs> I underestimated the power behind this experience. So I think back to your mental work and preparation and physical preparation, there's some things that that can definitely, and, and even with that preparation though, like there's, if you've never done it before, you don't know, you don't know until you're there. And so it's totally normal that it would take more time. Mom being exhausted at the start of labor is probably going to lead to um, a longer labor. It's kind of hard, which came first, the chicken or the egg, right? Like what if, she had days of prodromal labor that made her tired. And so when active labor started, she's already she tired anyway. Yeah. But the point is that mom being exhausted, we're going to see um, a longer labor. We might see a longer pushing phase. It's when you move into those interventions, I can relate to that. I did. I had prodromal labor for two days with my second and I was so exhausted that my body couldn't relax. So I was, and I was having those pushing contractions at four centimeters. So that's why I got that narcotic to take the edge off. And it's why I got the epidural. When I had the epidural, 20 minutes, I went from a four to an eight or four to a six. It was a, it was a decent amount of dilation. That's where I felt torn about listing epidural and things that can contribute to a longer birth because 
I've seen moms who similar circumstances, they've had days of prodromal labor. They're so tired that they're having trouble relaxing through contractions. They finally get that epidural and they're completely dilated within an mm. hour because it allowed them to get that rest and relaxation that they were having trouble um, doing on their own. And that's okay. And so I've actually seen so epidurals help. Tool. Yeah. Right. I've seen epidurals help make things go quicker. So I right. don't know. That one's kind of a mixed bag. Another one is premature rupture of membranes. And so a premature rupture just means that you're, you've lost your bag of waters or you've had some kind of rupture in your bag of waters and contractions have not begun. And so I don't know that they consider labor to necessarily begin at that time. However, you are put on a clock once your your bag of waters breaks for how long you have from the time it breaks until you give birth to that baby for the safety of baby. And we've talked about this before. One of the biggest things that we see in regards to worrying about infection is having a gloved hand pushing good bacteria from the vaginal area into the uterine area where it shouldn't necessarily be. And that can create an infection. But just having, in other words, I think it's important that if you have some kind of rupture of your membranes early, not that it's time to go rushing into the hospital, but it would be time to start encouraging things to get moving so that you're not lengthening labor into, um, I don't want to say a dangerous place, but like a, a less than ideal space so that your provider is encouraging you to uh, take on some other interventions to get that baby born quicker. Exactly. And again, this one just makes sense to my mind. If if your water breaks and you don't have contractions, then we're adding to your labor that length of time waiting for those contractions to start, whereas other women's labors are starting with those contractions. So naturally, it's going to look like it's a longer birth. Next would be not knowing how to work with your body and as a result, unknowingly fighting it through the contractions by hanging on to tension, not being able to relax those muscles, right? You're, you're kind of getting in the way of what your body is trying to do. Also not feeling safe in your birth space, um, either either due to the people that are there or your surroundings, maybe not creating that healthy birth team. Maybe you're not in a great relationship with your partner and, and you're worried about that and birthing your baby into that. I know COVID-19 did a number on moms. It didn't mm -hmm. feel safe to birth your baby into the world, let alone your birth space, whatever. Uh, everything just, just felt kind of crazy. And so, and I, I am not an expert on this, so I, I can't speak to this too much, except I've seen that if you're a survivor of sexual abuse or some kind yes. of trauma, that absolutely that could abs absolutely lengthen the stage of your labor and also make you feel way less comfortable about birthing a baby into the world. Well, and Ina May Gaskin, right, like the world's midwife, she talks about how your cervix is a sphincter. <laughs> and <laughs> sorry, <laughs> no, I love the analogy. She always shares like, okay, let's say that you were in a building and you're... It makes me think of chickens. That's like I instantly, that's what I was... <laughs> You know how they have, in case you don't know, I didn't know until we had chickens. They poop out of the same hole that they birth their little eggs. Like it's the same sphincter. <laughs> so that's what I thought instantly. Right. But okay. So take your chickens, for example. I was going to use the analogy she uses where let's Yours say you're pooping better. in an office <laughs> building, right? You're sitting down in the stall to do your thing. And suddenly the fire alarm starts going off. Do you think you're going to be able to complete your bowel movement? Probably not. That little... I mean, you might push really quick. Oh, dang. <laughs> we got to finish this job. But that little thing's probably going to get sucked right back up in there. Oh. And anyway... You're probably right. 
I mean, it's creating and here I'm a thinking picture. Like this is like I go back to my nightmares where it's like I'm I'm pooping in a stall and I'm naked and people can hear what's happening <laughs> versus being at my home. You know, I'm like, right? <laughs> some comfort. The point being, if you want your cervix to open, you have got to be in an environment where you feel totally, completely comfortable and relaxed. It's the reason why people feel like they can't poo at school or at their place right. of business, but they can easily at home. It's just you've got to be in a so place where you practice, feel comfortable. We want you to head to Target and <laughs> try <laughs> poop. <laughs> we talk about strip down so much and on then this try podcast. to pass. <laughs> Just teasing. Oh. Anyway, the point is you got to be in the right place where you feel comfortable and you've got to be surrounded by the right kind of people that aren't making you feel any kind of anything negative. Right. And I think that is like a great example though of like, that's why people bring stuff from their home to their birth space. It's why lights are dim and they put in smells that they recognize. All of that plays a part in your comfort when it comes to being vulnerable in front or of others. Or it's why people choose to give birth at home. Yes. There's also evidence to suggest that mothers who are of advanced maternal age, stuff and I don't love <laughs> this phrase, but basically if you're over the age of 35. Considered. Or- if you're considered advanced maternal age, we're not going to put you into that advanced stage. No. I'm 35. The only thing advanced about me is I'm incredible. <laughs> it's incredibly advanced. So if you are considered of advanced maternal age, thanks for the correction, mm-hmm. Stephanie, um, mothers who are overweight prior to pregnancy, right? We're not counting the baby weight that you've gained. Um and or mothers who are carrying a big baby may also experience longer births. All right, moving on to things that might contribute to a shorter labor. Obviously, it's going to be the opposite of the things we just mentioned. (laughs) (laughs) So if you're standing on your head to push your baby out, we want you to to be squatting instead. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But you get the idea, right? If you're not of advanced maternal age, if you are not being medically induced, if you're not dehydrated, these are all going to be things that contribute to you having a shorter birth timeline. And just a a note on that advanced, I'm not even going to call it that. If you're over 35, if you're 35 or over, it doesn't mean you're going to have a longer labor. I think there are things that go along with being older. Um, And I'll tell you just like noticing the changes in my body, which is like, maybe I'm not as active or my muscles and things don't, you know, they're not young, as young as they used to be. And so I think there's just some different challenges or a little more work on our end that needs to happen uh, to create kind of those shorter, more more normal-ish labors that would have happened prior to age 35. It's not that you can't. It's just that I think it takes a little bit more work. Right. Exactly. We actually had a question um, in our members group, like, I this is an IVF baby. My doctor is saying I need to be induced. Is that true? And it's interesting because when we were researching in preparation for this, having someone who is having a woman who's done IVF and that's her pregnancy, they're saying is a contributor to a longer birth. And Stephanie and I stopped and thought about that. We're like, wait a minute, that that doesn't really make sense to us until she remembered. She's like, but perhaps women who are pursuing IVF are over the age of 35 and maybe... Or tend to be older in general with their first baby. Exactly. And so maybe that's really the reason why it's not necessarily the IVF. It's right. all so these other factors. I think all of that to say, like, don't get into your head about like, I heard this thing or saw this fact I'm air quoting right now on a certain website back to your expectations on what we put into our heads that doesn't necessarily mean anything every single one of you can have it's you're gonna have a different experience and so it has to do with your body your preparation your birth team your support all of that makes a huge difference right okay so background 
Things that contribute to a shorter birth timeline would be letting your body go into labor on its own when it's ready. Um, because obviously when your body's ready, things are going to work a little more efficiently. Yeah. If you don't have an epidural, it, not that there's anything wrong with this, but if you don't have an epidural, it's likely that your contractions and everything will increase um, at a steady rate and baby will be born. Although, as we talked about, there are those situations where you're exhausted and you need to use it as a tool and then it's a good time. Now, if you plan to have an epidural, this is kind of our big thing, right? They It used to be active labor is four centimeters, time to go to the hospital. That's when you get your epidural. We really want to encourage you. We know now, and there's articles, although it hasn't followed it into the hospital's practice yet, the active labor is really closer to six centimeters. That's and what so, the evidence supports. Yes. And so if you can wait until you are six centimeters or greater, and I don't mean just wait. I mean, if you can work with your body to get it to six centimeters comfortably before you choose to get an epidural, you actually decrease your chance of intervention and cesarean birth. And therefore avoid a longer birth. All right, Pitocin. Yep, it can help speed labor. Doesn't mean we love it a ton, but that is one of the things that it can do. Particularly if you have somebody who is, um, maybe your bag of waters did break, like we talked about, that premature rupture of membranes. Maybe you come in, uh, it's been a while, you can't get things really moving, but that Pitocin can begin contractions. And maybe even after a little bit, your your body kicks in and, and they can remove the Pitocin completely. Well, then obviously, if nothing was working prior, maybe you were walking, doing nipple stimulation, Maybe you were trying all the things that you could. Sometimes, though, that Pitocin can kick things in and, and get things going. And then obviously, that's going to speed your labor. Freedom of movement is huge to helping you have a shorter labor. Why? Because you're letting gravity help you out. You're also allowing your body to move in ways <laughs> that will... It helps you out. It like helps you. Oh, I get gravity it. Gravity helps you out. It's We're a baby. We're so cheesy today. Okay. Anyway, it also allows your body to move in ways that are going to... Remember, we talked about a longer labor could be because baby's having trouble navigating the pelvis and you don't know how to help them do that. Well, allowing your body that freedom of movement could mean that if you're really tuned into yourself and you know what positions and movements to try that you can then help baby navigate the pelvis. So that freedom of movement is really huge. That's a major contributor, I think, to a shorter birth. If this is another birth that you are having, in other words, you've already had one, two, three, you've had prior births to this, then that can actually decrease your labor time. In fact, we find that the longest labor for moms is being a first-time mom and that from there, they generally... I say this with like so much gentleness because this is not necessarily everybody's experience, but they generally move into shorter labors with um, subsequent babies. That does not mean that they come earlier though, no. right? <laughs> We're talking about two different things right. there. We talked about the impact of a mindset that needs a little help, maybe some fears that you need to overcome and how that can kind of stall things, delay things in labor. Um, the inverse is true. Having a positive mindset for birth, having positive expectations about your experience, having done the mental and actual work to set yourself up for success, that's going to contribute to a shorter labor time. And you guys know, I swear by my late pregnancy herbs, and we've talked about these before. I used one called Late Pregnancy Preparatory Tonic um, by Wish Garden Herbs. But there is a Dr. Christopher's formula that, you know, other people have had success with. I swear by them. I know not everybody does, but it certainly can't hurt anything. That's how I feel. <laughs> like if I were to be pregnant again, even though I didn't feel like they did anything for me, I'd still, why not? Like yeah. it's not harming anything. Nope. When used according to package directions and under the, and care, of your the provider. care of your provider. <laughs> <laughs> That's our disclaimer on that one. 
Another thing that we have moms do in our birth course for sure and has through small studies, albeit small studies, uh, has shown to shorten the length of labor is eating six dates a day starting at 34 weeks. And these are the tiny dates, so it's not the giant ones. But if you eat those six dates per day starting at 34 weeks, which I know it's, it is like a lot of sugar and there's a ton of recipes and things, different ways that you can prepare them and use them, but it is shown to prepare your cervix. So it softens the cervix coming up to birth. And I have said this before in regards to your Bishop score, I like to pay attention mostly to what the cervix is doing in regards to whether it is soft or less soft, ripe or less ripe. I find that even moms with a low Bishop score, if their cervix is ripe, they have a greater chance of induction or or trying to get things to move early being successful. So we talked about premature rupture of membranes, your water being the thing that starts your labor can contribute to a longer birth. So um, having contractions be what kicks off your labor can often contribute to having a shorter labor. Being well hydrated, just as we talked about the opposite, and we'd add adequate blood sugar and protein. So I think it's really important. I tell all of my moms, especially those that are planning on heading to the hospital, that before they go, they should eat a nice big meal that includes a protein, carb, and fat. And I think, I wish it was just a thing that they would allow you to eat when you are at the hospital. However, I still recommend that you put some protein snacks and stuff in your bag. Mm -hmm. And I love women who talk to their doctors and they're like, I think we had this as one of our our prior reviews. You know, I asked if I could eat and they said, you better. It's like running a marathon. Yay. I didn't experience that kind of conversation. Well, it was after my first until we had gone to Germany and their OB there. I was like, I would like to be able to eat during labor. He's like, you're not going to be able to do this if you like, yes, of course you need to eat food. And I'm like, please take that back to America. That's the right attitude. Yeah. Right. And you may not feel like eating, especially if you're in one of these kind of uh, quick birth scenarios. I, I first threw up the snack that I had eaten and then I wasn't hungry until baby was born. And by then it was lunchtime and sure, I was hungry. But I guess I'm just saying, read your body's cues, try to get some good um, nutrients and things to your body. But then if you end up barfing it up, no worries, girl. <laughs> I feel like along with the being well hydrated is making sure that you're emptying your bladder because we didn't really get into that in this episode. But if you have a full bladder during contractions, not only can it make it more painful and less comfortable, but it can actually inhibit the progress because of the pain and discomfort. Knowing how to work with your body, that goes for both you and your partner is going to contribute to a shorter labor because you're going to understand how not to get in its way, how to relax during that first stage of labor, how to push effectively and efficiently, um, how to navigate some of those natural stalls that can come up in labor. And so all of those things are going to help, certainly. Just like we talked about before, it's super important to be surrounded by people that are completely supportive, uh, who have a calming and encouraging presence and being in a birth space where you feel totally comfortable. You need to create that space for yourself so that you can be pooping naked and totally comfortable, right? <laughs> and by pooping, she means pushing out your sweet little angel baby. Yeah, sure. That's what I meant. 
You guys, we have a free download on our site. It's three exercises for an easier birth. You need to download this if you haven't already. And you need to be doing these exercises daily. Put reminders in your phone if you have to. But these exercises weren't chosen at random. Steph and I chose them because they're going to get your baby turned the right way for birth, right? They're going to start off in a great position. They're going to help to balance your muscles in your pelvis. That means also great for positioning things, but they're also going to strengthen the muscles that you're going to use during labor and pushing. You're going to be able to hold that squat for pushing stage as long as you need to, to birth your baby into the world. So they're chosen with a purpose. Um, Definitely get them. They're free. There's no reason why you shouldn't. Yeah. And I will put them in the show notes, but you can just head to www.myessentialbirth.com and then scroll down to the bottom. It's on the main page. And lastly, obviously, if you're having a normal, uncomplicated pregnancy, then you're likely going to have a shorter birth. And again, I think this has more to do with the fact that let's say that you have preeclampsia or gestational diabetes or whatever, those things are more likely to contribute to an induction of labor. And so if you don't have those things, you're less likely to be medically induced. And so that's going to mean a shorter labor for you. We're not going to cover failure to progress in this episode, uh, but we do want to point out that active labor, just like we talked about a little bit ago, is now defined as six centimeters. And prior to that, we're typically not not going to see one centimeter an hour. Uh, I think that's how they want you to progress in the hospital. When you come in and you're four centimeters, they're going to check you every hour or two, and they want to see about a centimeter an hour, which I absolutely hate. I I hate hate that this so much because, and I, I say this, like, this is my big thing about why for myself, I would never birth in the hospital again, because my labors do not go textbook ever. They never follow a centimeter at a time. And if I was in a hospital for that third birth, for example, not only with the prodromal labor, but my contractions being six minutes apart, the fact it took me all these hours to get all this until I was actually able to get to transition and dilate, falling asleep for 45 minutes, they would have said that was, that wasn't natural. Would they maybe needed to start Pitocin? It would have been managed. Your body needs what it needs to get where it needs to go. And as long as you and baby are safe, there's nothing wrong with the amount of time that it takes you to get there. So I think it's really important that we're not, (laughs) we're not putting women into these like boxes. Yeah. These boxes that say, if you don't do this, there's something wrong and we need to take over. But in fact, I I think the main point being working up to six centimeters can take a while. And the number one thing, and this is why it's so important. The number one thing that we see on medical documents as the reason for a cesarean birth is failure to progress. Because how can you really judge that? If you didn't give the proper amount of time or, I mean, but it's the number one reason that we see up there. And I'm sorry, I don't think one in three mothers have a failure to progress with their body. I think it's a failure for patients. Failure to be patient. And I just have to add the other thing that just really drives me crazy is when failure to progress is given as the reason for whatever comes next, the cesarean, for a mother who never even reached six centimeters dilation. We know that that period from zero to six centimeters, that can take days. And you can go on to have a healthy vaginal delivery with a healthy baby. Like it's, it's just a matter of being patient. So with all of this in mind, all the ideas that we gave you, our charge to you would be to do what you can, right? Be prepared. Um, do the things on the list of things that can help to shorten your labor as much as you can, whatever's in your control. 
But then if we're expecting our providers to be patient during this length of labor, that means you need to be patient as well. And you need to be willing to welcome birth in whatever way it's going to unfold for you. All right, mamas, we will be back with more tips and advice soon. In the meantime, be sure to subscribe so that you get notifications first about new episodes. And don't forget to head over to myessentialbirth.com for more information on the birth course and to join our online community serving pregnant mamas just like you. 